let's do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, and we are recording. I'm gonna guess you're gonna cut the first part out here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley, and I'm Sam Harrelson. Um, so again, as seems to kind of always happen during this season, we're recording on the day of a presidential debate. I know we, we need to do these the uh, day before so or that a couple days before so that we can push them out and people can listen to them before the debate. Right. That would make a lot of sense. But obviously we are uh, we're still learning at this. <laughs> well, I'm also sad because I, I really think this is going to be the last debate with an undercard. Right. So seven o'clock tonight, Eastern uh, Fox News has the Republican debate. I'm sorry. It's the Fox News, Fox News Google, Google Republican. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, I guess since Facebook got all the love in the first few, they're they're going after that. And Google has all sorts so of you think, enhanced. So, so you think we're you know how we get these like oh Facebook you know users are interested in this or what like stupid just stupid questions. <laughs> you think we're going to get like um a question based Googling. off of Google search results? Oh yeah, you, you or, know or we like, are. So you know, how much, like you know Google search results you know peaked for this question or whatever. Yeah, we're going to yep. get some of those. Well, and what really astonished me is that Google put out a press release yesterday, and I blogged about it on my personal website, samharrelson.com. That's my Martin O'Malley impersonation. Right, drop uh, in the URL. <laughs> you can go to my website. You know, Martin O'Malley, if you close your eyes, he sounds just like Will Forte. HTTP colon. <laughs> slash, slash, backslash, backslash, www.samharrelson.com. All one word.com. <laughs> I do have to say that a lot though. When people ask for my email address, I'm like, Sam at samharrelson.com. And they're like, so is that two words? I'm like, no, it's an email address. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Google put out this uh, press release about um, sort of the enhanced uh, things they're doing around the debate. So if you, if you search tonight, sorry, uh, Amazon alert. If you search tonight for uh, Republican debate on, on the Google, uh, they're going to give you, in real time, uh, extended candidate answers and videos and meta text and all sorts of things based on the answer that a candidate is giving because the candidate might not have time to properly elocute their response. Or if they're Ben Carson, they might just be rambling, Uh, which I think, so are these things really that staged? I mean, is the each candidate given like the questions and they- Oh, no, I don't think they're given the questions, but I think that- um, they, or in real time, Google is, is just pulling up data based on whatever the question is. I think they have it kind of prepared. They have some ideas of what's going to be talked about and they have um, canned responses from the um, campaigns, I would imagine. I mean, most I mean, if you watch enough of this, you begin to realize that, oh, that's yeah, that's this part of his stump speech that he's going to hear. Like, I mean, and it's almost always like verbatim. They just kind of fall right into it. Uh, so it's not like we're hearing new things really at many of these debates. So I don't think it's that <laughs> well, especially with Donald not being there. That, yeah. Right. And that they know the questions beforehand by any means. Um, but I think this goes to another point that you were making too, right? About the like kind of be, being torn between the, um, you're talking about this with the X-Files, being torn between like the screen and then your other screen. Right. And are, are you actually kind of paying attention? And if I'm trying to watch that, I have hard enough time now, right? Trying to watch the debate and live tweet the debate as a public service thing. You know, you're welcome. Um, and I have hard enough time now. To, oh, wait, what, what did he say or what did she say? Um, 
But if I'm watching and then I Google and then I go to read somebody's whole response, I'm going to miss a ton of the debate. Yeah, totally. So, I think that's that's why I like the bingo card thing that we did. Right. It's um, so easy. You can mark it off. It's a word or a short phrase. Yeah. But you're paying attention before. It actually makes you, you, you pay yourself more, I think. Right. right. I mean, this is the feedback that I got from from people that used our bingo cards in the past that yeah. it actually made them pay attention to a debate they never would have. Well, it, it's a teaching thing. I mean, it's something that, you know, I used to teach middle school. It's something that I learned very early. You know, you can give the kids the, the vocabulary words for your science lesson after you've done the lecture or after you've done the lab. But that's not as effective as given, giving, uh, you know, a seventh or, or an eighth grader a list of terms to look for while you're doing the experiment or while, you know, Mr. Harrelson is up there droning on about whatever. Um, you know, if you know, OK, I've got to I've got to listen for, you know, periodic. So make sure when I hear periodic, you know, that, that's a keyword. Right. So same thing with the bingo cards. And I think that was that was something we we did well. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think we missed something with the real-time nature of, of living, I guess, in the 21st century right? Uh, with all these extra screens. And uh, yeah, I mean, Thomas is referring to that blog post on samarelson.com, where, uh, which was actually my, one of my most successful blog posts ever, believe it or not, which is kind of silly because it was so inane. But I was, uh, I was talking about watching the X-Files. And when I was a kid, well, when I was a teenager back in the 90s, when the X-Files first came on, I fell in love with the show because I'm... I'm kind of the crazy conspiratorial one, as Thomas always says. So that show for me was fantastic. And I would I would tape each show almost that I could and rewatch them, you know, throughout the week before the next show, uh, just so I could pick up on all the little clues because uh, Chris Carter and the X-Files had a, a very interesting mythology behind it. And you could watch one episode and not really have to know that mythology. But if you strung everything together, it was like a Stephen King type universe where everything kind of played with each other and you know you read the stand and you realize there's stuff in it about the stand and anyway so doing the comparison between watching the show then and watching the show now was fascinating to me because i i was missing all sorts of things but i felt like i was getting more out of it because i was able to you know participate in the conversation right on twitter yeah but i didn't feel like when it was done i didn't feel as satisfied you know the voyeurism yeah. society, I guess. <laughs> we won't go into the depths of all that with satisfaction of voyeurism. Right. Um, so yeah, seven o'clock tonight, undercard debate. Nine o'clock tonight, the main event, and also at nine o'clock tonight is the Trump event, which uh, I don't know if CNN has said they're going to carry it. Trump is kind of. So what I've what I've seen is that CNN has said that they will do something with it, but it's not clear how much they're going to do. Um, you know, probably some live look-ins or whatever, but it doesn't seem like they're going to cover the whole thing. And yeah, you know, there was a piece I just read. I think it was, in, um, I think it was Chris Saliza, the fix right at Washington post. I think it was his piece. Um, I'm pretty sure it was at least on the fix blog <clears throat> saying that like kind of going on about this question of what the other network should do. You know, do you share the Trump event or do you not? Do you go with whatever programming you had planned for that time? Or do you, like it's clearly a news event, right? We've never had a major uh, presidential candidate not go, well, I guess Reagan, apparently Reagan didn't go to the last uh, debate before the Iowa caucus. Um, but since then, right, we haven't had a major presidential candidate do this and then have a competing event. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. So it's a news event. So it's kind of like you need to be covering it. Uh, but how much do you cover it and how much do you give Trump? 
Um, I think the you know brief live look-ins are probably a good way to do it so that you can cover it, you know, the crazy <laughs> stuff that he says. You can... Um, kind of like kind of like a, a Trump red zone. You know? Trump red, yeah, exactly. Red zone channel for, for Donald <laughs> Trump. Title. Well, but it's, you know, it's like any other political event, right? Somebody has a press conference, you do a live look in and then they're like, okay, isn't that interesting? We'll, we'll come back with more interesting stuff later. And you kind of cut in and out of those things. I think that's the way to handle this. And my plan is to watch the Fox News debate and to try to avoid the Trump event. Are you going to avoid it? I'm going to try to. I don't, I don't. So this is hard for me too, right? Because I feel like yeah. it's a news event, so you kind of have to talk about it. But I also don't want to see Donald win this one. Like this is my <laughs> like. I think I think he needs to lose, and then I think he needs to be. I mean, you and I've had some private conversations about this, but he's been losing a lot. Uh, some of these negotiations that he's saying he's the best at, and nobody's talking about that. I would love to see him just lose massively on this, which he won't. I know he won't. Uh, but then for that to get talked about, but so I'm going to do, I'm going to try to resist for as long as I can doing my little part to not give into the, the Donald machine. <laughs> Did you see that uh, Huckabee is going to attend the Trump event and, and not the Santorum Republican and Santorum and Santorum? Yeah. The, the last two winners of Iowa who are now polling Damn. in single digits. Hey, I it doesn't Huck- matter if they're polling. Huckabee's at 1.8% right now in Iowa. Yeah, but they're skipping the debate to go do this. That's huge. No, they're not skipping the debate. They don't have anything to do during the main debate. Oh, so they're, they're, going they're in the undercard. Right, exactly. But so, still, it gives Trump validity, and I bet he threw some money at them. I don't know. What did you see everybody trying to throw money at Trump, right? The Fiorina campaign was like, they said like a million and a half, and then they said, we'll give $2 million to veterans, like, you know, to debate you or whatever. <laughs> And then all these all these uh, veterans groups are now saying, we don't want your money. Like, we're not a political football to be toyed around with. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, that's some of them. But- I mean, this is one of my one of my big uh, things, too, with Trump is, like he said, one of the negotiations he clearly lost and nobody's talking about is he said, I'm going to make CNN pay me five million dollars to show up at their debate because they're making all kinds of money. And then I'm going to give it to the veterans of wounded warriors. Well, CNN didn't give him any money and he did show up at the debate. And the veterans didn't get any money. Well, and wounded warriors, you know. Well, and then and, that's the other thing. Yeah, wounded. Yeah. I'm guessing he didn't expect to, you know, for the big expose to break on wounded warriors right when he's planning this event for vets either. But Right. And uh, there's a whole lot of stuff there that, yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know. What, what do you um, what do you think? Is, is it going to be worth watching the debate tonight without Trump? Or, I mean, do you think uh, Rubio is going to go full tilt on Cruz to try to make up some ground. So this is, here's what I think. I think this is really interesting because uh, it will make Cruz the so-called front runner, I guess. So we're going to see a lot more people attacking Cruz. I think we're going to see more questions from the moderators pointed toward Cruz, like what, like they have been uh, with Trump. Uh, so I think we're going to see that. And I, this gives everybody a little bit more time. Um, and this gives somebody an opportunity to I don't know. I just at this point, I don't know who can, you know, for the for the theater of it. Uh, I would like to see Rubio break out. I'd kind of like to see Jeb break out because honestly, at this point, I'd kind of start feeling sorry for the guy. You know, um, <laughs> well, he's doing well in New Hampshire now. I mean, he's well, he, yeah, there's one poll showing him in second in New Hampshire now. And we'll see if that I mean, that's probably an outlier, but um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I'm shocked that Jeb didn't have a better January, but we've already talked about that. I think this yeah. is going to be big for Rubio. Uh, 
it puts him in second place and it gives people a, a more of an extended look at him. Uh, there was a great poll that came out. I think it was South Carolina or, or Nevada somewhere. Anyway, they <laughs> they asked, they had pictures of each of the candidates. And they asked like 600 people, you know, identify these candidates and, and Trump and Cruz had pretty good facial recognition. Uh, but Rubio was like 18% of people who were intending to vote in the primaries uh, could actually recognize him. So, you know, him being in this spotlight with maybe five more minutes on stage, I think it's going to be a very good thing for him. And I think it's why Donald is, is skipping. I mean, it's not about Megyn Kelly. It's it's a very, very good way right before the Iowa debate to cut Cruz off at the knees because all of a sudden Cruz is kind of the leader among the losers, if you will. Right. And, and Rubio is going to have a, a attack dog uh, position on, on Cruz. So Cruz has to defend his flank, but he also has to look presidential, but then he has to kind of, not be so in tune with the debate and kind of act like he's above it, like Donald is doing. Otherwise he's going to look like, you know, Jeb or Christie or, or Santorum right. or someone. Yeah. So, when, I mean, yeah, I don't know. We've gone back and forth. It's brilliant. It's for brilliant. a couple of days about, right. about whether this is a smart move or not. And, and in this current climate, it seems like everything Donald does is a smart move, right? Cause it it's seems brilliant. to always work for him. Yeah. I saw a poll today. This, I'm not lying. Right. You remember when he said this, um, uh, I, you know, they're saying I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and not lose any supporters. I saw a poll today that asked about that, and forty percent of the people said they would still support Donald Trump yep. if he shot somebody. I mean, it, it's just absolutely. <laughs> if he shot somebody, yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? I mean, last so last night. Um, speaking of taking one for the team, I was going to get try to get to uh, Donald Trump's uh, event here, and or not here, but about 30 minutes away uh, over in Lexington uh, in Gilbert, actually, for those people who know their South Carolina yep. uh, <laughs> uh, geography. Gilbert's a little small town. And actually, Trump had his event at the place where we go by our Christmas tree every year. So I, I feel kind of dirty about that. But, um, you know, there are hay bells and he had his hat on and it, he didn't have his tie on because he was in Gilbert. So uh, he showed up and, and did his hour long thing. Uh, so I watched the live stream of that because I, I couldn't make it. And plus, I pulled up Twitter at like one o'clock in the afternoon just to see like, OK, maybe I can drive over. The, you know, it doesn't start till seven or eight or whatever. But, um, you know, I'll drive over around five. There were already like three thousand people there at, at one o'clock yesterday. So I decided to avoid that. Um, but oh, that's interesting. There was a uh, another sonic boom. This one over New Jersey. There was one here in South Carolina earlier this week and everyone down in Charleston thought it was an earthquake. And they said, no, it's a sonic boom. So now there's one hmm. X-Files, man. Yep. It's coming yep. true. They're coming for us. They're coming for uh, us. Yeah. Well, so, so anyway, I, I think. Another interesting <laughs> thing. I mean, you know, talking about about uh, Trump and the, and the dynamics and everything. Um, what was really interesting for me to see this week was to see Jeb Bush go after Donald Trump's faith. Right. <clears throat> like, so he got questioned on it. He didn't just do this on his own, but he got questioned on it. And. Like, do you think he's a Christian? And Jeb said, I don't know what he is. I just don't think he has the kind of relationship that he says he has if he can't explain it in a way that shows he's serious about it. Accepting the fact that we have that we make mistakes and seek forgiveness, that's one of the tenets of Christianity that everybody can agree on. We're all sinners, some of us more than others, which seemed like a little swipe at the Donald right there at the end, right? Um, but yeah, pretty interesting, kind of this, uh, you, they will know you, not by your love, but by, you know, your fruits, like that there should be fruits to your faith and that we should be able to see it. And Jeb's kind of pulling a Donald, right? Where he's like, 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, this is what he said, but I, you know, I just, I don't know. Right. I don't know. So he's kind of doing that, which is interesting. That is interesting. I mean, especially for Jeb. Um, I mean, he's Catholic, you know, so right. I don't, I don't know how far he wants to tug on that knot because I could see Trump turning that against him with, you know, the more evangelical voters in Iowa and in South Carolina. Um, you know, that's fine for New Hampshire, but you know, it's another thing to, you know, to, to try to convince voters that your fruits are a little more fruitful than, than someone else <laughs> when, you know, you bring that into the race. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean of the, course. the thing with Jeb, right, he is Catholic and a lot of evangelicals certainly don't like that at all. But there's no question about his Catholicism. I mean, there hasn't been for two decades. Uh, so he but has it, that. Whereas, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, but look at Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Trump, you know, Trump's like, oh, I'm Presbyterian. And then there was this whole movement to like get him basically removed from the roles or whatever. And then the Presbyterian church was like, we can't do that because he's not a member of any of our churches. So, you know, which is kind of great. And then and then Trump uh, goes to Liberty and gets endorsed by Jerry Falwell Jr. Which, (laughs) you know, so people people rag on us about our segues. But I just got to say, as a little break in the fourth wall moment here, Thomas has become the master of segues. So if you're following our show notes, um, Thomas just has really just excellently nailed the segues today. So uh, Thomas, you're doing a great job. I just want to congratulate you. Nine, seven, maybe. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to be Donald Trump here and say, good job on that. You you did a great job there. Um, Great. It was great. It was great. It was huge. It's going to be huge. Yeah. So uh, Liberty, man, what a, what a crap show. I mean, not, not Liberty university, but maybe, but, uh, but (laughs) that, that situation, I think that's going to really, uh, hurt them long-term. Um, well, what's also interesting but, is, so Jerry Falwell Jr., president of Liberty University, largest evangelical uh, college in the world, or you know whatever university in the world. Um, his dad was Jerry Falwell, if you didn't pick that up already, um, who was kind of like the evangelical guy, right, in his day. Everybody, you went to him, and his son is not really that. Um, his son is. I don't know, whatever he is. He was a lawyer for a long time and all this. But but so we got a lot of pushback uh, from a lot of evangelicals. Russell Moore of the Southern Baptist Convention has been all over Trump and was all over this endorsement, too. And, you know, this is not right and all this. And so then uh, Falwell Jr. pens an op-ed in the Washington Post explaining why he endorsed Donald Trump. And he goes on to say, like, well, you know, I don't necessarily think that Oh, so, so he's using the example of Liberty, right? Liberty University, we had these horrible times and and we didn't have to file bankruptcy, but we did have you know to restructure debt and we'd have to go and beg donors to give money to cover the paychecks that we wrote on Friday, et cetera, et cetera. And we hired the best people. And to me, I'm, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking, you hired the best people, but you're having financial problems. Like, how does that, right? But he's like, we had to hired the best people. And we didn't worry about whether they're, you know, shared our beliefs or not, because when you're running a company, like you need the best people there. And- you know, I think that Donald Trump's a good businessman, and that's obviously also questionable. Um, and you know, he can make our nation great again. And then he then he says at the end, as I said, Jimmy Carter's a great Sunday school teacher, but the divorced and remarried Hollywood actor Ronald Reagan saved this nation when it was nearly the same condition as it is today. <laughs> wow, I'm divorced and remarried, and I'm a Baptist, so there you go. 
Yeah. I've, I've got the best of both. But worlds. you're not a Hollywood actor, so you don't stand well, a chance at saving this nation, Sam. I'm sorry. Ask my ex wife about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it, it's a big week for that. So you, you've got Falwell uh, supporting Trump. Uh, you've got uh, like Tony Perkins came out. Tony Perkins. Who's the per- president of the uh, Family Research Council, which is a, a right-wing conservative evangelical think tank, if you will. Yeah, uh, advocacy Tony Perkins group. Advocacy Group. That's a better way to say it. Uh, endorsing Ted Cruz. And I think that's that's good for Cruz. I'm, I mean, good for her, but that's that's a big deal to Cruz because he's trying right. to get those, uh, the people that would send money to the Family Research Council, uh, trying to get right. them to vote for him in Iowa. Yeah. And uh, what- so you... Yeah, so it's kind of crazy, right? So you get all this, and and then a lot of people are saying, well, what about, um, like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand how evangelicals are you know, supporting Trump. A lot of evangelicals are saying this, um, and they're trying to make sense of this. But, you know, my thing is, and I wrote about this a while back, we'll, we'll put it down in the show notes, but that we have these myths of voting blocks, right? So there's a myth of the evangelical voting block that they always vote the same way and they don't. I mean, they may tend to vote a certain way, but the idea that evangelicals vote a particular way is just an absolute myth. And Donald Trump, I think, helps us see that. But a lot of people still, they they view Donald Trump as the exception that proves the rule. And I don't think that that's how we should look at it. Yeah, and I mean, okay, so first, and, and that's a great piece. And yeah, definitely link that up so we can uh, put that in the show notes. The idea of evangelical in itself is kind of right. a myth, you know, and, and it's been really deconstructed here in the last 10 or 15 years uh, as we've gone into this second, third generation of what evangelical means, you know. So back in the 70s, evangelical and, and before, of course, but um, at least here in the United States, evangelical had a certain weight to it um, that is different than the weight that evangelical holds now. And a lot of that has to do with things like uh, the, the evangelical takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention and then the Presbyterian uh, PCUSA. I mean, I'm sorry, a PCA side of things. Um, right. And then, um, you know, sort of the, the reform movement of, of bringing Calvinism into uh, Protestant evangelical life and how that really reshaped things from the mid 80s into the into the early 2000s. And now the chickens are, are coming home to roost and. I don't know if did Jerry Falwell ever formally endorse a, a presidential candidate? You know that I don't, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, because yeah, I, I, I think you know the, this. The idea of being an evangelical is not anything new, and it's not an American idea. I mean, the the word is you know Latin word, of course, uh, but it goes back to you know what 1300, 1200, uh, with sort of the the early Protestant Reformation coming along, uh, but it the very idea of being evangelical means that you reject kind of the worldly government <laughs> side of things. Uh, so to see evangelical leaders supporting a certain candidate, not even saying, okay, I support president Reagan or I support president Obama. Uh, but to say, I support this candidate for president right. uh, because I, I like what he or she is standing on. That's a complete shift. in I would say how evangelical, uh, worldviews were, were held in the 1970s, even, uh, let alone, you know, 12, 1300s with Wycliffe and those guys. So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's selling out. And I think, uh, 
Well, like all, all movements seeing, to sell out. It's, I mean, it's we're also hurt seeing it. here. I mean, this is to some degree a result of the rise of the moral moral majority and the religious right, right? Like back in the eighties, uh, that really wed uh, conservative Christianity, particularly evangelicalism, with the Republican Party, and we're seeing that now, where that identification is more important than some other identifications, right? That you are Republican, um, which is, I don't know if that helps explain Trump's success among evangelicals, I mean, relative success among right. evangelicals uh, or not. But but I, I do think that that's an important factor that we can't miss the, um, the strong connection between the religious right and the Republican Party. And you don't see the same type of connection uh, with other religious groups like you do with evangelicals to republicanism. Right. And, and, and I'm stupid. I said, I'm thinking with my clear head now, I said evangelical is a Latin word. Of course, it's not a Latin word. It's a Greek word. Right. From uh, Evangelion. Yeah. Right. Good message, right? Good, good words. Uh, right. So anyways, I apologize to our listeners for my stupidity um, about that, but I'm pretty smart about the Trump stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We're smart about everything else. Yeah. yeah well, everything I mean, else we say is, is spot on. I'm a good looking guy. I'm, I'm the most intelligent person I know. I went to Wharton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, oh yeah. So last night in the, uh, in the <laughs> Trump event, <laughs> uh, Evan, and it's not funny, but a lady in the front row fainted or passed out. Yeah. So while Trump is speaking, <laughs> he stops and he kind of looks at the lady and says, you know, some help her up, help her get out. You know, so they, they help him and everyone claps. And he's like, you know, I'm a good looking guy. She probably saw me and fainted because it, it happened like right after he came out onto stage. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so that's what that reference was. So, yeah, I, I think as we go through this election, I wonder how much. uh how much that that religious right, moral right, evangelical movement is going to be hurt by all of this? Because I'm already seeing, like on Facebook this morning, some of my more evangelical conservative friends uh, were posting up this uh, one post. I'll, I'll try to find a link to uh, about um, this guy who said, you know, maybe I'm not a Christian after all because these guys are calling themselves Christians, and right. you know, I, I like Lib- I went to Liberty University, and and. Uh, this isn't the liberty that I knew that would endorse a presidential candidate and certainly not one that would, you know, who's saying these well, things. And of course, Liberty's you know, official Twitter account says Liberty University doesn't make endorsements, you know, and Jerry Falwell Jr. says this is me personally. It was not the university, et cetera. But it's kind of hard to be the president of a university, particularly one like Liberty, and make an endorsement and it not and, be tied to your university. Right. And give them a jersey. You know, right. Yeah. A Trump Liberty jersey. On exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that. If it smells like an endorsement, it probably is an endorsement. Right. Um, right. Like so my yeah, grandfather just, always said, where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> Your grandfather came up with that? I don't know if he came up with it, but he did say it a lot. <laughs> was, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. So, But that's on, on the Republican side, on the Democrat side. Uh, we've also got some some interesting things about faith and, and the role that, that faith plays in uh, candidates' lives. And, and we don't we typically get this um, maybe later, like in the general election, because Democrats, for the most part, it's not a, a huge issue with them, to quote Donald Trump, huge. Uh, it's huge. not a big deal for them to, you know, with what faith someone has. 
uh, stereotypically. I mean, of course, some of us actually care about that. Um, so Hillary and Bernie uh, this week have, have given statements about their faith. And I believe O'Malley is Catholic, right? I'm just making a generalization based on his name. <laughs> I'm going to okay, assume Martin O'Malley. O'Malley. Kind of bland, good-looking white dude. Yeah, he's definitely Catholic. Well, with a name like O'Malley, you know. Um, so, yeah, he likes his Guinness. It is funny, though, that we didn't think to include anything in here on O'Malley's religion. But there were, there <laughs> well, were nothing in the assume. news this week. There was nothing in the news this week. That's the thing. Is we're doing like like this has been a big week for all kinds of stuff, but also it's been a big week for religion and politics stuff. And there's yeah. not I've not seen anything in the news this week on O'Malley and his religion or whatever. But there has been on Sanders, there has been on Hillary. So he was too busy I'm... eating haggis or, or something. No, sorry. Um <laughs> my family but, I have part of my family's Irish, I can joke. So Bernie Sanders uh kind of came out. And and so was this before or after Hillary's interview? Yeah, I'm not I think it was sure. before. Um, I think it was before. I'm not positive. And this is kind of like some things that he said before in the past. Like, yeah, like an interview that he had with Kimmel and stuff like that. He said some similar type things. So so he grew up Jewish, and and it, so I guess he you know has an ethnic Jewish identity. Um, but he says in this interview, I'm not actively involved with organized religion. Um, he said that he believes in God but not necessarily in a traditional manner. So he says, I think everyone believes in God in their own ways, which I would agree. That's, that is an accurate statement. Uh, and then he says, to me, it means that all of us are connected. <laughs> all of life is connected and that we are all tied together. So he believes in the force. Right. Or like chi or something like that. It sounds like <laughs> I'm not uh, laughing but, at that, but yeah. yeah so, it, uh, but it's, it's interesting because um, there, at least as far as public polling goes, uh, there's not a big hurdle for a Jewish person to become president. We haven't had one before, but people were open to it. I mean, 90% or so of people are open to that. Uh, but when you poll about whether someone would be open to having an atheist president, um, we're still a, like 50% or less um, that would accept that. So it's interesting because he's kind of on the line between these two, right? I mean, he, he grew up Jewish. He's ethnically Jewish. Uh, but... He's also he's able to say, like, I believe in God, but I'm also like, yeah, religion's not really my thing. But he sounds like Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. I mean, there's not a yeah, maybe. You know. And that's the comparison some have made um, to him or, or even Lincoln. Some have made a comparison with Lincoln as well. Uh, and that yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, Jimmy Carter was a Southern Baptist and he taught Sunday school and he was a deacon. But, you know, Ronald Reagan, until he got to office, was not really a member of any specific church and he was viewed as a liberal and you know, uh, right. um, Right. Well, but this is, this is, it's a modern, it's a modern uh, thing where religion is really important. Uh, And it's also, you can see a breakdown by party too. Right. So you have George W. Bush who like didn't really go to church at all, but evangelicals loved him. And then you had John Kerry who went to mass every single week but he yeah. was like, you know, was very religious. liberal and, you know, nobody thought he was religious or whatever. What's also funny is on uh, polls that I've seen where uh, people are, you know, rating how religious they think a candidate is. Like Cruz, of course, is at the top. But um, Bernie, even after saying this, now people might not know about this, is still above Trump on how religious they think he is. But Trump says like, oh, I'm Presbyterian. Like, I got my Bible. I love the Bible. Right, I mean, greatest book. The art of the deal is a great book, book, but it's a it's a far you know it's way down in second place there. 
Well, it's kind of like the uh, Huffington Huffington Post uh, today just announced that anytime they reference Donald Trump, uh, <laughs> they're going to add this addendum at the bottom of each article. And it says, no to our readers, Donald. And this is for reals. Uh, I just came through on the Hill via Twitter. No to our readers. Donald Trump is a serial liar, rampant xenophobe, racist, uh, birther and bully who has repeatedly pledged to ban all Muslims, 1.6 billion members of an entire religion from entering the U.S. <laughs> but they're yep. giving that disclaimer at the end of each article, which I think is a little over the top. But yeah, well, Huffington Post, right, also is the publication who said we're going to cover cover Donald Trump in our entertainment section, which right, they're doing. Right. They're still actually doing that, but they're covering it the same way they cover all of their other political stuff. They're just actually categorizing it in entertainment. Yeah, and, and do, do so, people really just go to Huffington Post politics or Huffington Post celebrity? You know, whatever. Like, no, you just right. click on. HuffPo from wherever you are. Um, right. Anyway, sorry. The, yeah, distraction there. But I, I think... Yeah, so the Bernie Sanders thing is interesting. Um, really, it's probably not going to... At least at this point, it's not going to hurt him. If he won the nomination, it might hurt him. Um, I don't think it would hurt him. I think it would give people ammunition. So, for instance, right. like, again, uh, anecdotally on Facebook, I see every now and then that that meme that is, is you know, spreading falsities about the number of times that Obama has been to church as president and how that's you know, the lowest since, you know, 1880 or something with Grover right. Cleveland and, you know, how George Bush went to church this many more times and, and uh, Clinton went to church, even Clinton went to church this many more times and, and George H. Bush went to church, you know, whatever. Um, so, I mean, I think that's something that people look for when they're looking for things to attack. But it goes back to that argument right. of do you have to be religious to be a moral person? And I would say that based on Bernie's positions, he's he's got a different sense of morality than someone like Donald Trump who says they're, uh, you know, a Christian or a Presbyterian or whatever. Right. And probably yeah. one that would line up with, you know, the general sense of morality that a lot, that a lot of, you know, self religious people would have, <laughs> right? or right. maybe this guy, Jesus that you might've heard of <laughs> like, you um, know, care for the orphans, widows, poor, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Talk um, about the, the, the money changers in the temple. But so yeah. what's interesting, what's interesting. So thinking about that was, so Hillary also, um, responded to a question that someone asked her um, at a town hall this week with a fairly lengthy question, honestly, on, or a fairly lengthy response. And the the question was not worded well at all. It was kind of like, basically, how do your policies uphold the Ten Commandments? Which I just think is a stupid question, personally. Um, but um, but we're not going to call that person stupid because that would be politically correct or whatever Donald Trump said about Megyn Kelly. Was a bimbo, right? He said, I'm not going to call her a bimbo because I'd be politically correct. So I'm going to call her a lightweight journalist. So anyway, but and I, I, like we're not going to read the whole thing. It's a fairly lengthy response, but we'll have the link to the New York Times piece so you, that you can go and read it. But what struck me about about her response and and if you follow this much, you generally Right. Some people had asked us, well, why don't Thomas and Sam, why don't you do uh, bingo cards for the Democratic debates, too? It's like, well, we're kind of a religion show. Yeah, we're like religion, politics, philosophy, whatever we really feel like talking about. Uh, but you know, we kind of focus on re religious stuff. Um, and you're just not going to hear any of it in the Democratic debate. Right. You might hear God bless America, <laughs> you know, at the end. Uh, but that's kind of it. And that's that's held true. You just generally are not hearing about this on the Democratic side. Um, right. And so Sanders isn't talking about it very much. Um, Hillary's not talking about it very much. Um, but she was asked this question and she responded. And um, I thought, um, 
I mean, it didn't surprise me, but I, I did post it because I knew it would surprise a lot of people. But what stood out to me is that this response comes from someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about this and not in a way of what can I say that's going to score me the good political points, right? I mean, she references the Sermon on the Mount. She references, you know, well, we're, you know, we're told, you know, to be humble about our faith and, and things like, I mean, she talks about it like someone who has um, internalized Fun. this, right? Yeah. And, and to take care of the orphans and the widows right. and, and the strangers. I mean, that's straight out of Luke. That's, that's very good. So, it, you know, but it's not like where, whereas, you know, Donald Trump gets asked, what's your favorite Bible verse? He's like, well, I don't want to talk about it. It's really personal. They're all good. And, right. Um, and so I think this, you know, I, I would really encourage, particularly if you're not really familiar with kind of, uh, and Hillary Clinton, uh, it's a Methodist, by the way, in case you're wondering, if you're not really familiar with her um, from a religious standpoint, uh, look at this. I mean, she talks about, yeah, visiting prisoners, taking in the strangers. Uh, she talks about uh, the Sermon on the Mount and, you know, paying attention to it. You know, what's it calling us to do and understand, uh, you know, because it seems to favor the poor and the merciful, um, you know, those who don't have a whole lot, et cetera, et cetera. Like she, you know, this isn't somebody who was briefed on what to say and had to be told, you know, to say two Corinthians or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's right. I, uh, it almost feels like two Methodists to be true, you know, because <laughs> I mean, for the most part, I went to a Methodist college and, and yeah, I know yeah. a lot of Methodists still, and I know a lot of Methodist ministers and I have a deep love for Methodism as a, as a philosophy in my heart, uh, because of good old Wofford college. Um, and I, I almost went into the method Methodist ministry myself. Yeah. Uh, so as I give that preface, but most Methodists I know, aren't the type that are going to go out and beat you over the head with their favorite Bible verse, you know? And, and right, right. that's kind of how this comes across. Like, yeah, I study this stuff. I get to Sunday school. I, I internalize it and it drives who I am and very much, John and Charles Wesley, you know, but I'm not going to right. go out there and, and say that you're a sinner because you're doing this wrong or that your view of the 10 commandments, uh, is wrong when, and I think she responded well to that question and she kind of diffused the whole 10 commandment BS. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hate that question so much. Um, <laughs> and, well, I, and I'm, now I'm thinking of, uh, so she asked like the 10 commandments question, but she was also kind of saying like, well, I heard on the radio, like, you know, I need to look at people's faith and then decide how to vote for him. Right. Take you, it or leave you, it. That's you killed Vince Foster. So. Right. But she says, I think that's absolutely fair. And then my, here's what my study of the Bible has shown me. And then just goes yeah, into exactly. this whole thing. Right. Which I don't know. I just think that, um, it wasn't fake. It, that exactly. It wasn't fake. And that's, that's the point. That's the area that, that she struggles on so much, right. Is authenticity. And, you know, I think, and she won't do it, but more answers like this, I, I think would help her in, in that regard. Yeah, but she's not going to do that. Right. I mean, and, and of course and I'm politicizing it because that's what I do, but yeah. Well, and, and she comes from that old school view of politics where you keep your God out of your politics, you know? And, and I mean, it, it influences who you are as, as a person, as maybe as a leader or as a voter or whatever, but you don't, you don't make it a point to go out there and say, well, I'm doing this because Jesus said in the second commandment that you should do this. Um, or God in this case, but right. you know, no, not everyone knows that. Uh, so I, I think, you know, both, both her and Bill were of that same ilk, you know, where, where I mean, I, I think, I think Bill is a person of faith from things he said and, you know, and then he'll pull out 
biblical imagery from time to time, you know, from the Psalms or something okay. uh, when he's given a speech or back in the 90s when he was doing that more often in public. And you would think, wait a minute, how, you know, it's, it, he's really internalized this. And like, you know, it's not just a, you know, yeah, John 3.16 is pretty good. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a market difference from something like a Ted Cruz. Well, who so what's interesting feels like here, they have to wear the Bible on their shoulder. Right. And so and I wrote about this this week, too. Uh, it, it, exactly that of kind of the, the performativity aspect of it. Right. Particularly with uh, some of the Republicans, with Cruz and with Trump uh, and and some of those um, and how they kind of prioritize this. And what really stood one of the things that really stood out to me was this comment that uh, the Trump made. So, so I think it was Bob Dole, right. That asks him um, uh, basically like, are you a Republican? Like kind of, have you abandoned the Republican party? And um, he's kind of pushing back on that, I think premise. Uh, But he says, I'm a Christian first, American second, conservative third, Republican fourth. But this is really important. I think in the way that he um, showed, like he lists his priorities Right. And, and we see this. We've already talked about this, but we see this in uh, for Republicans. What's important or has been until we get to Trump, um, what has been important for a lot of Republicans is a candidate's faith. And it matters. And, and I think this is and this is the pushback that you see from a lot of evangelicals against Trump right now is because what matters to them is that you are a person of faith, particularly a person who shares their faith. Um, and. That's uh, that's not what you're going to get on the Democratic side, right? So there isn't this kind of need for this. There's performativity, but it's not performativity in this way. Um, and then so you have Marco Rubio, for instance, um, saying, you know, somebody asked him, would you be an atheist? Asked him, or would you be pastor in chief or commander in chief? And Rubio says, I'm a Christian. I want to be very clear about something. Not only am I a Christian and not only am I influenced by my faith, but it is the single greatest influence in my life. And from that, I'll never hide. And I'll tell you why, because I know that if I'm lucky, I get to live to be 85 or 90, but I'm more interested in eternity and the ability to live forever with my creator that you don't believe in, but I do. And that's what I aspire to more than anything else. So, so Rubio does the same thing as Cruz does here in saying my absolute priority is my faith. And it doesn't have anything to do with how well I might or how horribly I might run this country. But I need you to know that I know for you that faith matters first. And so for me, faith matters first. I know it's, it's just an interesting thing to kind of see that and see the performativity aspect of it on one side and see the complete opposite on the other side. Well, and... Uh... Cruz is so calculating that he knows he can make these types of statements and it's not going to hurt him because no one who is going to going to not vote for him is going to vote for him because of that. And no one who was going right. to vote for him is not going to vote, you know? So I, I think he's, he's trying to try triangulate that conservative Christian group in, in Iowa uh, to get the big turnout. So that when he gets down to South Carolina, he can say, you know, your, your evangelical brothers and sisters up in Iowa right. uh, saw my, my Christ like, and uh, they liked what I said about this. And I said, I'm a Christian first, so therefore vote for me. But then on Super Tuesday, he's going to shed that and move away from that. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I think it's important because I, I but, think but what scary as hell is, to hear someone say that, uh, you know, running for president in public. <laughs> right. Because, too, I mean, so I mean, part of what else I wrote about, but what really struck me when I heard this Cruz quote first 
was, or what I thought of immediately was Ben Carson, right? When he says, I would not advocate for a Muslim to be president. And he says, well, uh, basically, if you're kind of like Muslim light, you know, if you, um, if you reject what the Quran says, then yeah, I think he can be president. So that's a, but that's a standard that only holds for Muslims. It doesn't hold for Christians, right? In fact, the standard is the exact opposite for Christians. It's that you must be a Christian first before anything else, and that your commitment to the Constitution should come second to your commitment to Christ. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and that's it goes back to that evangelical definition, I think, and and how you know these leaders are working these things out. And I guess my bigger issue with it is is the um, president that it sets. So. You know, in 2020, right. are we going are we going to hear someone who say, you know, says, I you know, I think we should replace the American flag with the Christian flag because we're a Christian nation, and you know, we're we're upsetting God by this American flag. I mean, no, we're not going to hear that, but to hear this at this level, at this stage in the game, is is <laughs> troubling. Um, you know, and it's it's fine if someone wants to say, hey, you know, I'm a, a member of this faith, and this is how I feel. Um, I think that's that's great, but to say, as someone who has never been out so so uh, far on the religious side of things, I mean, I haven't looked at Ted Cruz's past statements, but you know, I've, I've observed him since he came onto the national stage in 2010, and you know, he's he said things that are conservative and constitutionally based, and I can respect him for having those opinions on the Constitution and whatever and sticking by them, but to now like clothe yourself with the Christian flag and with Jesus and to talk about how you're such a good Christian and you're a Christian first and American second while you're running for president just doesn't sit right. You know, like if you're running for Pope, go for it, you know, but you're running for president and stick to your constitution stuff. Cause that's much more authentic, especially if you're trying to get to the uh, general election. Yeah. But I mean, you know, for a large swath of the population, they think that, yes, this is a Christian nation and we have to have a Christian leader. I mean, I had a lot of these conversations with people going, you know, going into uh, 2008. All these questions about, we well, you know, Obama's a Muslim. And it's like, well, first, no, he's not a Muslim. Uh, second, um, it also doesn't really matter. Like, I don't care at all. I care about how you're going to run the country. I care about your policies. And yes, I know I'm completely boring because I think policies matter. Um, but that doesn't, you know, so, but there's a lot of, a lot of moderate Christians that I know um, still have some unease about, you know, well, if that person's not a Christian, I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, but Donald Trump, <laughs> you know, I mean, how are people wrapping that mindset around supporting Donald Trump? Or how can you say that you support the guys out in Oregon? you know, the, the domestic terrorist at this point, uh, how can you support them, but then support Trump who is rapidly in favor of, of eminent domain? <laughs> you know, it doesn't, right. it, it, cognitive dissonance is real, I guess. Yeah. Well, and as some people were pointing out, um, I think Rachel Held Evans uh, tweeted it out and I retweeted her on this, this week. Um, the, you know, evangelicals that were saying, Oh, well, Obama's a Muslim. And then some of the same evangelicals are supporting Trump. And she was like, this is interesting. 
And my point was, let's call it what it is. This is racist. Like we know that that's what it was. We know that what a lot of the um, pushback against Obama was is just blatant racism. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? His name is Barack Hussein Obama. He's black, or at least he looks black to a lot of people, right? Even though he, you know, is interracial, has you know, mixed parents or whatever. Um, nobody believes him because they don't want to believe him because they had already made up their mind about him that he couldn't be one of them because to to accept that maybe he was one of them and he believed some of the same things they did might mean that they would have to think he wasn't a horrible person and that he wasn't the spawn of Satan and they couldn't do that. Right? So it's just blatant racism. And so Trump gets up there and says, oh, I love my Bible. And they're like, that's good enough for me. At least he's white, damn it. <laughs> like, yep, let me, uh, you know, clean off my hands and go pull the, the, the voting lever yeah. thing to mark my vote. Um, I, I just wonder, I mean, if, okay, so say Trump makes it to the main stage and it's Trump versus Hillary, which it very well could be at this point. I still think it's going to be Rubio and, you know, we Democrats are scared about that because Rubio can win. Uh, but if Trump gets to the main stage, are those evangelical Christians going to stay home? Because, you know, I think both the Democrats and People like me who are, are sort of moderate to, to, you know, maybe conservative, but fiscally conservative, but socially moderate type Republicans are going to either stay home or they're, they're going to put their money into defeating Trump because no one in the Republican Party wants to see Trump elected if they really care about the Republican Party long term. Right. I think that's so, right. Yeah. There was, and there's a really good piece out in 538 today about that too. Right. About, yeah. So they're kind so of, do their those... only hope to win in November is Rubio. If you elect yeah. Cruz or Trump, you're probably not only going to lose the white house. You're probably also going to lose even more down ballot races. Yeah. You know, possibly the Senate, but definitely, um, some, some down, down ballots, right. uh, in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio, where you don't want to lose those. And, and here's, what's amazing just for a second to, before I, before we get back to your question, um, Two years ago, it did not really seem possible for the Democrats to take back the Senate, right? I mean, I guess like it, it just seemed people talking about it seemed to me like this is a fantasy, like you're just floating this fantasy. It's not going to happen. I know. Um, but, but the same thing happened in 2007 when the Democrats in 2008, when the Democrats right. took over the House and the Senate with yeah. Obama uh, or North Carolina went blue. I mean, I was talking to Mariana about this yeah. last night and, you know, I was pretty involved in the Democrat party uh, in North Carolina at the time. And, um, it was, it was awesome. You know, we felt so yeah. like, Oh my gosh, you know, we, we've set the world on fire and yes, we can. And, and you know, hope and change and things are going to really be different now. Um, and it was a, it was a cool feeling uh, to be a part of that. And Georgia, you know, was, was very close to turning blue. And, and if we'd had a better turnout in Atlanta, you know, maybe things would have been different, but, uh, you know, then 2012 happened. And we lost all that yeah. as Democrats. So those things, especially depending on, you know, whoever's at the top of the ticket, those things change so quickly. And there's been some great psychological studies about how people vote based on the type of ballot you have. Um, of course, butterfly ballots in Florida, which are now illegal, but right. um, we won't get into that. But Al Bush is the president. So... There are some great psychological studies about, you know, how the type of ballot you have really does impact, you know, how you vote down ballot. And we mean down ballot, but like 
governor's representatives, you know, local state representatives, judges, if your state does that, that kind of thing. Um, And especially during a presidential year when it's really contested, because otherwise, I mean, having been in local politics, uh, you know, at the precinct and district level, I, I know that people don't show up to vote in mass unless the president is, is up for election. Right. So oh, uh, when you go, yeah. Yeah. So when you go and it's like your city councilman or your, you know, city wastewater treatment overseer, like that doesn't really matter if they're Republican or Democrat, but you're going to feel something when, you know, when you, when you vote Republican or when you vote Democrat and that's going to influence how you vote on um, the rest of the ticket. So uh, I, I really think, I mean, if, if Trump makes it that far, if the Republicans allow, allow that, um, what do those evangelical voters do? You know, do you, I think there's going to be right. such a smear campaign by the right and the left and the right. I mean, the, the traditional right, you know, that right. represents establishment. The, yeah. Yeah. The Whig party, um, you know, do they start throwing money at it and, and try to get people to vote for Clinton? Because, you know, four more years of Obama is not going to be that bad compared to four years of Trump, I think, for the Republican Party. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, and I think what happens is you're certainly going to have some evangelicals, the ones that are already supporting Trump, that are going to continue to support him and are, you know, going to make Hillary out to be this horrible person. You know, another just another uh, Obama spawn of Satan creature. Um, but I think you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be really conflicted and really feel like they can't vote for Hillary, right? Because of you know gay rights and abortion rights and all of these things that they have serious issues with but also feel like they can't vote for Trump because I mean, he doesn't have any moral compass. It doesn't look like, right. He says whatever is, um, you know, financially or politically expedient to him. I mean, that's, that's kind of obvious, right? I mean, it, it's no joke. It's no, or, you know, it's no surprise that Trump has been, you know, you has in the past described himself as very liberal, very liberal on healthcare. Right. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, you're going to see, um, a big drop off in turnout. And that's only going to obviously, I mean, turnout to like big turnout in general, but obviously if you have a drop off in, in Republican turnout or evangelical turnout, that's only going to help the Democrats. Um, I, I definitely think that's part of what we're going to see if you have Trump as an, as the nominee, because I think a lot of people are going to feel like they cannot in good conscience vote for either one of them. I mean, and I, and I can, right. you know, I, I just, I think that's the way a lot of evangelicals are going to feel. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, and, and I think, you know, some people are going to hold their nose while they vote if that's the case, but, um, I don't know. I mean, and the same thing for Rubio. I mean, what if Rubio makes it to the main stage or are those people going to feel disenfranchised and, and are they going to beg Cruz or Trump to run as a third party? I think that could very well be the case. And well, I some think, people, some people will, um, I could see Trump doing it. (laughs) I could see him doing it too, because he's got this far. I think he thinks he can do it. Well, and he's not going to the debate tonight. (laughs) Right. Right. Because he doesn't think he needs it, right? He has control. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think on the other side too, a similar thing. Um, I think if Hillary's the nominee, a lot of Bernie uh, Bernie Sanders supporters are not, I think they're going to stay home too. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are people like me who, who... you know, are going to feel disenfranchised by either side. Um, and yeah, I think it's interesting that it's, it's that Hillary kind of becomes the moderate choice, <laughs> like people like you who want to get things done. Like it's the pragmatic choice, right? 
Right. Well, but Hillary, I mean, Hillary has only ever described herself as a like just kind of mainstream moderate Democrat, right? I mean, she's moved a little bit here and there, but she's a mainstream moderate Democrat. And well, yeah, I mean, people like me who are pragmatic about it think that she's the the more pragmatic choice. Yeah, and I mean, I I love Bill Clinton, you know, and I'm not saying that just because I'm a Democrat, but it, you know, even in my Republican days, I I really was impressed by how he governed. Um, you know, we had, a, whether it was his fault or not, we had a, a great economy. Um, you know, we, yeah, we had, you know, a couple of incidences around the world, like the Bosnian war and Black Hawk down and those things. But for the most part, you know, the world was felt safe. Uh, you could travel, you could walk up to the gate in an airport without taking your shoes off. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it was, it was a different time and era and I'm nostalgic about that for sure. But, uh, looking at how he handled things like welfare reform or, you know, starting AmeriCorps, which I participated in and it changed my life. And I'm thankful to Bill Clinton for, for taking the lead on that. Uh, so I, I think that type of politician, we all look back to and say, gosh, you know, wouldn't it be great to have Bill Clinton in office again? And, you know, I think most Americans would have voted for him for a third term if he could have run for King. Uh, yeah. And we see Hillary kind of as a second chance at that. And I don't know if that's the case. I mean, that's that's the big thing for me is, you know, she's she's almost too pragmatic, right? She, she's got that, I, I need to move this way or that way, or I need to say this, but then she she never lets you in to know who Hillary really is. And and Bill was a good enough actor where he was able to make you feel like right. he cared about you, you know, yeah. he, he just had <laughs> yeah. the thumb thing, you know? So, yeah, anyway. no, um, no, and I, I think that's a good point. But I do think I do think one aspect we can't miss here is the gendered aspect of it, right? Of she has been subjected to um, infinitely more and infinitely worse attacks than I think a lot of other. I, th I think women in politics in general, women in positions of power in general, are subjected to things that men never are. Um, and well, so, no one says, "Oh, well, you must be gay if you're a guy who wants to be president," you know? Right. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and obviously, you know, we know the general things like that and like, oh, well, you know, there's all kinds of commenting on what a woman is wearing or how she looks. And there's not as much there's more now, but not as much commenting on how a man looks. Of course, Obama did have the horrible tan suit day. Right. We all remember the infamous tan suit. Hopefully that has been burned. Um, I like and, the tan suit. <laughs> the, the tan suit wasn't, a, the tan wasn't the problem. The problem was the suit didn't fit. That was the problem. Everybody else was saying the color. I didn't mind. The color was whatever. I liked it. The suit didn't yeah. fit. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So there was that. So we do talk about, I mean, I think about this stuff all the time about what people are wearing. Um, yeah. But, don't ever let Thomas critique your, uh, your fashion people. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I think that's part of it, you know, cause there's this, I don't know how to describe it exactly. I don't know if double standard is the right word, but you do have this idea uh, or you kind of see happening with Hillary. Oh, you're in the public eye. Um, but we want you to be more yourself, but we're going to attack you like no matter what. So I don't, it just kind of makes sense that you build a wall up. Right. I mean, I would do it and I would not be subjected to the same attacks that she is um, by any, you know, so I would want to put a wall up, I think, um, to not let people in. <laughs> well, and, and so. you know, there was a, a book a few years ago. I forgot which one, um, but, you know, mainstream press guy, but uh, it was talking about how much uh, the stuff in the nineties really did affect her uh, and, and how she ran for Senate in New York and how she 
right. uh, ran for, for president the first time and how that really kind of hurt her in 2008 or 2007, 2008 against Obama because Obama was seen as this more authentic figure and she still had that wall up, um, you know, because of the Paula Jones thing, because of the Monica Lewinsky thing and and those personal right. attacks that, that were out there. Well, and now that, too, right? It's like her... Yeah, that's right. Wing conspiracy. To, right. Yeah, she tried to like run as one of the guys in 2007, 2008. That didn't really work. Now she's running right. much more kind of as who she is, talks about her granddaughter all the time on the trail. Right. Kind of that. And I think that's good. Um, I think, you know, if people aren't going to people that don't trust her anyway, aren't going to trust that that's authentic and that's fine. Uh, she's not going to win them over. Um, she's got to stop the laughing. Now. The laughing thing. Right, is not- but that's the thing I was going to bring up is like with her, like her, she has this laugh and so everybody's like, oh, it's a cackle or it sounds right. like a witch and that kind of like all these negative connotations that you don't generally get with guys. Um, and so, of course, and my my Twitter blew up during the Democratic Town Hall, <laughs> right, because I had the audacity to point that out awesome. that gender bias exists and a handful of Bernie Sanders supporters just could not accept that. You know, no, maybe she's a liar. Maybe we're calling her a liar because she's a liar. Has nothing to do with her being a woman or what? It's like okay, they sounded yeah. like Donald Trump supporters. I mean, yeah. as you pointed they out, did. it was yeah. When yeah. and what's kind of and you get you have the Sanders campaign telling their own like. So what was amazing is that night the Sanders uh, campaign director of Rapid Response on Twitter had to tweet out, "If you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, please follow his lead and be respectful of people when you disagree with them." Like it's gotten bad on social media and they're getting horrible rap and it's pushing people away like me, like who people like me that would be fairly natural Bernie Sanders supporters if I weren't so pragmatic, I guess. Uh, But I'm, you know, super liberal on a lot of policies and Sanders is fairly liberal on a lot of policies. Um, But yeah, no, his his supporters. Uh, But anyway, so, you know, I do think there's a gendered aspect, too, that plays into this. Um, the idea that she's not authentic and the idea that she's untrustworthy and all that. And there are issues there, but there's issues there with all politicians. So anyway, we don't need to, to go into that again. Um, but the debate tonight should be really interesting. If you're listening to this after the debate, then um, just trust that it was really interesting, I guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> we said it was. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to watch the Trump thing as well, you know, kind of a, uh, Okay. Yeah. Like we said, the, you know, Trump red yeah. zone. Because uh, <laughs> we, we don't have cable, so you know I'm going to be streaming it regardless. And my wife is is going out tonight, so it's just going to be me and the baby. Um, and, uh, and a so bottle gonna, of bourbon. And a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> you know it. So we're we're going to put one on one screen and one on the other one, and I'm going to I'm going to subject Ben to uh, you know the dark side. Hopefully he doesn't go the way of Kylo Ren. Oh wait, spoiler! Don't. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I named him after Kylo Ren. No, my, my daughters think I actually did name him. That's probably a spoiler too. If you haven't seen Star Wars yet, you need to go see it. Come on. Uh, his name is Ben, which is pretty cool. Um, what else? I think that's it. I think we'll have leave we, it have we reached our limit. It's it's sort of like the um, what debate was it? The C no Fox Business debate C- where they so that no CNBC debate where they yeah they said the ended. Uh, yeah, they're going to end at 11 and they ended at, at like 1130. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Yeah. That might have been a Fox <laughs> business. Like, debate. Yeah. What like, is go- yeah. Because it was no Cavuto. Um, yeah. And yeah, they just kept going. And, and I was so tired. And I, I thought, I've got to soldier through this and make it. Yeah. It that's kind of like the, the last half hour or 45 minutes. That's like what my whole Twitter feed was like. 
Are you serious? Like, why do we have to keep watching this? You don't have it's to. Like, make you it turn stop. it off. But you <laughs> like you've. It's a sunk cost fallacy, right? Like, I've been here this long. I gotta stay. <laughs> right. So, we've and we it. hope that that's how you feel about our show too. Like, you just have to stay until the end. So, yeah, because we got thirty more minutes. It was right. kind of like the other night before we stopped with the uh, with the national championship. No, what was that? Oh, the the Carolina Panthers game. Right. Yeah. So everyone here watched it because, you know, yay football. But I, I really don't care about the NFL. Um, so I turned on Fox at, at the appointed time to watch the X-Files. And that's right. Yeah. The damn game <laughs> was still going on. And then it ended, you know, like 15 minutes into the hour. And I thought, OK, well, that's fine. You know, it's it's 10, 15. Whatever. And they still had like 10 minutes of post game. It was like 30 minutes of a post game <laughs> show. It's just like, you know, sweaty men picking up hardware. And I'm like, this is so homoerotic. But you know what? Horses for courses, and, and I'm glad some people get off on that. Yeah, so, no, uh, the, the Twitter, yeah, Twitter was kind of blowing up all these people that were like, "Wait, what? <laughs> what is this I'm watching?" What yeah, all of us nerds were like, what, "What? Why are they celebrating this much? Why is our group? What's going? Like, go to the locker room. You're sweaty. Come on." <laughs> and on that note, uh, <laughs> we're gonna we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Thomas Whitley. You can find Sam at Sam Harrelson, and you can always find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm. Oh, and go listen to uh, Nota Techne. You'll you'll know what what we mean if you know what we mean. That's a terrible way to end the show. <laughs> that was, <laughs> but Nota Techne is a good show.